Come, let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we come this morning, some of us from feasting, some of us recovering from the weekend, the Christmas festivities. So we pray for an extra measure of strength this morning as we prepare our hearts to receive your word that we are about to hear. Hide your preacher behind your cross. We ask this all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ and all God's people say, Amen. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom. The grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival, according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they could not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. That he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. <clears throat> this is the word of the Lord. I used to work in a pharmaceutical manufacturing facility that produced cancer treatment drugs. In the operations room, there was a whiteboard that displayed all sorts of important information like our shift schedule, like the important reminders, but last but not least, they had served the important purpose of putting our unofficial department motto scribbled in big font. Do it once, do it right. You see, my team was responsible for making the product the people in the facility who got their hands dirty in the daily operations. Now, as such, any action that we did had a big impact on the product. There was no room for error. To make a mistake and get something wrong anywhere in the production chain was to literally throw money down the drain. We had to stick to the right way of performing our tasks. Yet, as much as we try to stick to the right way, sometimes something comes along and forces a change on all of us. New technology comes along, new managers appear. Standard operating procedures are up-revisioned, you know, with the old ones that we loved so dearly and that we memorized by heart, superseded. New fangled equipment is rolled out with the old preferred ones, ones that we knew in and out, phased out. But through all this change, the department goal of producing the same cancer treatment drug and our motto stayed the same. Do it once, do it right. 
It could get incredibly frustrating having to focus on our primary production goal or having to deal with all the changes that are happening around us. And I suspect that this tension of focusing on a primary goal while dealing with change happens to you too, whether you're a teacher, an accountant, a lawyer, or even a pastor. As 2021 draws to a close, and 2022 is going to be a year of even more change as the pandemic situation continually evolves, it would do us good to brace ourselves for the flurry of changes that will happen ahead. But how do we prepare for change? How do we stay focused on remaining faithful in doing what God has asked us to do in our families, in our ministries, in our workplaces? In our text today, we shall explore what the child Jesus can teach us even as he had to navigate the changes of growing up. Our text is unique in the gospel record. Luke is the only gospel to describe two incidents in Jesus' childhood. His dedication at the temple when he was eight days old, which I've preached on before, and this episode of the Passover when he was 12 years old. All other gospels skip Jesus as a boy, and as such, we don't know very much about Jesus and his childhood. To be fair, in the broader context of the salvation story, what Jesus did in three years with his disciples, his death and his resurrection are indeed more important than his childhood. But Luke, the completionist, nonetheless records it for us. If Mark is like the TikTok of the Gospels, covering only 15 seconds of action, Jesus is Luke, excuse me, is the full-blown hour-long National Geographic documentary. We see that Jesus' childhood stories are demarcated by a phrase, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Now, if this phrase sounds familiar to you, that's because you would have encountered it in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel 2.26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Now remember, these were the days before chapters and verses were invented. So Luke used this narrative device as a divider in the story. But this is more than just a narrative device. Luke presents a mystery that we will grapple with until we meet Jesus himself next time. The child Jesus is learning. As the hymn so eloquently put it, true God from true God, light from light internal, yet having to learn. We may never fully know how this is possible. Philippians 2.7 and Hebrews 4.14 and 15 gives us clues that Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are. Yet he did not sin. So Jesus, while fully God, had to embrace the physical changes of growing up as a child. How amazing and mysterious it is that Jesus just didn't skip the growing up phase even though he completely could have. In my Hollywood mind, I imagine Jesus parachuting from heaven as a fully grown adult. But he didn't. In these few verses, I believe we can learn how Jesus remained faithful to the Father and what the Father called him to do while embracing the changes of growing up. How can we remain faithful while embracing change? My first point is this. The child Jesus was teachable. 
Verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. In our Hollywood-oriented minds, when we read this passage, it's sometimes very tempting to imagine Jesus as this super genius professor of theology wrapped up in a boy's body. And indeed, throughout history, artist depictions such as this one depict uh, Jesus in the exalted position, position, raised above the rest of the teachers, sitting on a chair that looks like a throne, and the rest of the teachers are groveling at his feet as he delivers a lecture. But this is not the way that this event should be understood. Jesus was not the authority figure in this story. In fact, it was commonplace for the teachers in the synagogue to hold a public forum where people like you and I, everyday folk, could come and discuss the scriptures. He was there to listen, to learn, to ask questions. It is true that the religious leaders were impressed by how much Jesus knew as a 12-year-old, but there's nothing in the text to indicate that he behaved like a know-it-all smarty pants throwing and showing off his knowledge around to the teachers. What I am understanding from this passage is that Jesus humbled himself to the point that he was teachable. In the near future, Jesus was going to be the great discipler, the greatest teacher. But for now, he wanted to learn the scriptures like you and I would. And as we read just one verse after, we shall see what God can do with someone who is teachable. Verse 47. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now keep that super genius professor of theology trapped in a boy's body image trapped. Keep it out of your head. I believe that what we are seeing here is divine empowerment by the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus and the Holy Spirit working together. The Apostle Paul, who actually is a super genius professor of theology, recounts how the Spirit worked through him because of his humility. In 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5, When I, Paul, came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. When Circuit Breaker hit, every facet of life was upended, and everyone had to embrace the virtual work-from-home modus operandi. My work in the Methodist School of Music was no exception, and I was preparing to deliver this fancy, fully online electric guitar course, because that was my primary gifting. But God had other plans. The more I sought the Lord on my work plans and what I was to do, the clearer I could hear him say, focus on audio and video production. At around the same time, Brother Alphonsus approached me and asked if I could lead the AMKMC virtual band to produce the worship music videos needed for our online services. Guided and prompted by the Holy Spirit, I took on the task. And like Paul, with fear and trembling. Because my production skill was rudimentary at best at a point in time. In fact, till today, I still feel like I'm only one step ahead of any one of you when it comes to audio and video production. 
I was in uncharted territory. I didn't know a lot. So there was a lot of having to learn and to catch up. I spent many hours watching YouTube, going through every free online video course I could. I made calls to friends who knew what they were doing and who were willing to share their knowledge and their expertise. And of course, there was trial and error. The recordings that were coming in week after week after week after week. Throughout this process, I learned that the less I imposed my will and ego, and the more I let the Spirit teach and guide me, the more I saw God's hand at work. And He brought me through that season of literal on-job training for purpose. You see, after going through this journey of improving my audio and video production skills from managing the virtual band, I had to put together webinars to teach others at the Methodist School of Music. And we had so many international participants from Malaysia, Indonesia, and as far as India, who contacted us after the webinars, saying that this is exactly what they needed for their own church worship recordings, since in-person recordings were not possible at the time across the region. I shudder to think what would have happened had I been unteachable and insisted on my own way. I experienced firsthand the spiritual truth. Do you want to see God's wisdom and power at work in your life? Being humble and teachable prepares your heart for God to act through you. How can we remain faithful while embracing change? My second point is this. The child Jesus was focused. Verses 48 49. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? What an amazing reply. I have two observations of this text. Firstly, we see why it is plausible that the child Jesus knew that he was the son of God. Notice the pronouns used. Mary said, your father and I. But Jesus replied with, I had to be in my father's house. Furthermore, I had to be in my father's house can be nuanced further than simply geographic location. In the Greek, it is possible to translate the phrase as, I had to be about my father's business. Which tells me that the child Jesus not knew uh, knew not only just his identity as a son of God, but also his purpose, the kingdom mission. Secondly, we see that Jesus naturally found himself in the temple and not elsewhere, not the playground, not the lost and found corner. What's the common instruction that we give our children when we are in a crowded place? If you get lost, go to the information counter. Or if you get lost, find the security guard or the policeman. Children will act the way that they have been taught. And for Jesus to plant himself in the temple when separated from his parents, to be found in the midst of teachers of the law, tells me that this is partially due to good Jewish upbringing. You see, in Jesus' day, there were cultural expectations that Jewish boys should learn the Torah at age 5, the Mishnah or the Jewish law at age 10, and learn to fulfill all of the law by age 13. And then they'll be ready for advanced reading to read the Talmud, the Jewish commentaries on the Old Testament, at age 15. 
Both parents, not just the mother, were involved with these early years of development to oversee the learning of scripture and to participate in home worship liturgies that had parts assigned to both the children and the parents. So it is here that I want to address the parents in our midst, especially those of us who are baptizing our children today, including myself. Our responsibility for our children's spiritual growth doesn't end with baptism. The baptismal water isn't some magical elixir that will turn them into Christians. As you will soon see in the liturgy, the water is the story. The story that gives us focus. The story of creation, Noah and the flood, the exodus, the story of Jesus himself. In baptism, we take these little ones and we literally cover them with this story, bringing them to participate in the ongoing story of God. The story of God's creation, of God's protection, of God's salvation belongs to them just as much as it belongs to us. No matter what they might do when they get older, no matter who they might become. This baptism publicly acknowledges the mystery of faith that God is with them, that God is inside them, and that God has chosen them. Our responsibility as parents, as a community of faith, you and I, as those in children's ministry, youth ministry volunteers, and pastors, is to faithfully teach this story over and over again through the changes of their growing years. Some of life's changes present opportunities that are good for them to do, but they will sidetrack them from God's purpose for their lives. Others will force them to stand firm and honour God while the world scoffs at them for their apparent foolishness. May we have the singular focus bringing our children to the Father's house, whatever changes that life gives and throws at them. Later on, we'll be singing one of my arrangements as the closing song. The song is called A Better Day is Coming, and its text is adapted from the hymn writer Grace Weiser Davis, who wrote this in 1894. I feel the need to qualify that I'm not a songwriter. Um, in this season, God has been calling me to bring old and maybe untuned hymn texts to life with music. And so I will be considered more an arranger than a songwriter. I recognize this task to be my kingdom assignment for this season of my life. But I've also become a father to my wonderful daughter, Claire, who's being baptized today. My wife tells me that I could have picked a hundred other cuter photos, but I needed this photograph to make a point, as you shall soon see. Now, earlier this year, when the songs were being produced and God, were giving, God was giving me the songs, it was quite hard to focus on working on these songs and take care of Claire at the same time. I would spend morning worships with her. Now, we would have uh, the time, maybe an hour or so, where I would, I would freely uh, take a guitar, sit her down, and then we would start singing songs and just spend that morning worshipping together. The problem was, sometimes when I'm, working, when I'm playing those songs of worship and, and worshipping, the melody of a song would come to me, and it would strike me while I'm taking care of Claire. Now, like all modern parents, all modern folk, I have an iPhone, and I use the voice memo app to record melodic and chordal ideas 
so that I can work on them later. Now, what you're about to hear is the voice recording that I took when the melody of one of the songs, not the song leader, one of the songs came to my mind, and it will be, uh, yeah, this is a sketch of an idea, and it's my morning voice, so please forgive me. Now, AV crew, if you would please. I hear his practice finished, his bleeding body seen, loving accents fills me, his blessed come to me. Translation, pick me up now. Stop what you're doing. Pick me up now. It's a very short recording, isn't it? In a normal session environment, I would be playing with melodies and chords for the entire song, not just a short snippet like this. You know, this recording, and you'll agree with me, it's unfinished, it's unrefined, and it was cut off by the necessity of the moment to care for Claire. Now, if I left the recording as is, Normally, without working on it, I would lose the inspired moment and I wouldn't be able to finish the song. It would join the ranks of hundreds of clips on my phone where these ideas just wouldn't go anywhere because I just lost the inspiration. But something was different this time. For every song that came to me during this time, I managed to come back to the melody and work on it even after the clairful interruptions. Now looking back, I see God's divine enablement to keep these moments of inspiration fresh in my spirit so that I can work on them and bring that new song to life. I learned a spiritual lesson during this process of taking care of Claire while focusing on my kingdom assignment. When you're focused where God has placed you, He opens the doors to accomplish your kingdom assignment. To the question, you could be putting in the hours to build your brand and influence. Why are you spending so much time with church meetings? Let us reply. I had to be about my father's business. To the question, you want to invest in these ethical businesses with poor returns when you could have put in that money to make millions more elsewhere. Why this squandering? Let us reply. I had to be about my father's business. To the question, you just, you're not doing well in your exams and you might be sent to a bad school. You need to study more. Do you have to go for cell group? Let us reply, I had to be in my father's house. To the question, you just lost your loved one. You should be angry if God who took your beloved away. Why aren't you wallowing in self-pity and rage? Let us reply. I had to be in my father's house. Indeed, it is so much easier to give in to the innumerable temptations 
to succumb to our sinful impulses, to blame God for all the evil and atrocities that have been done against us. But through it all, may we find the courage, the focus, the clarity, and the resolve to be in our Father's house, where He waits for each and every one of us with the open arms of grace. In conclusion, we have been called to be faithful to where God has placed us to be, in our workplaces, in our families, our schools, our ministries. And there will come changes, good and bad, that will affect our faithfulness. The child Jesus teaches us that being teachable prepares our hearts for God's blessing and power to flow through us. He also teaches that when we focus on God, he will provide the means to face the challenges, especially for the new year ahead. As we endeavor to be more like Jesus, may we be found, as the scriptures wrote, have been written, to have grown in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you that you make all things new. Thank you for all that you've allowed into our lives this past year, the good along with the hard things, which have reminded us how much we need you and rely on your presence filling us every single day. We pray for your spirit to lead us each step of the new year. We ask that you will guide our decisions and turn our hearts to deeply desire you above all else. We ask that you open doors needing to be open and close the ones needing to be shut tight. We ask that you will help us release our grip on the things to which you said no, not yet, or wait. We ask for help to pursue you first above every dream and desire that you've placed within our hearts. We ask for your wisdom, for your strength and power to be constantly present within us. We pray you will make us strong and courageous for the road ahead. Give us ability beyond what we feel able. Let your gifts flow freely through us so that you will be honored by our lives and others will be drawn to you. We pray that you keep us far from the snares and traps of temptations, that you will whisper in our ear when we need to run and whisper in our heart when we need to stand our ground. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.